All right, so um, what we're going to do today is we're going to celebrate the Lord's uh, Supper or the Lord's Table or Communion, um, whatever you may call it. Um, and so I wanted to, I've been wanting to do this message for a long, long time about the Lord's Table, okay? And for about seven years, actually, I've been thinking about this. So I've thought about this a long time, actually. And so I'm finally ready to do it, and I'm going to do my best to give you something in a few short period of time that is uh, not just it's sort of just scratching the surface of something that I, has profoundly changed my life. And, you know, you've heard the saying, behind, behind every great man is a great woman. Y'all have heard that. I think that's probably true, right? Well, behind everything... It is true. Women love that. But, you know, that's what you do. Is you get in good with the women and you're okay. Because they can get their husband. That's my philosophy, you know. You know that same statement, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. It's true. I mean, that's, that almost could be in the Bible. I don't, I'm, I'm fi- trying to find God said it in a certain way, you know. Maybe he didn't say it exactly like that, but somehow that is always true. But... Behind every revelation that we get, there's something, there's more to it than, than the revelation. There's something behind it, okay? There's, there's a truth that's behind it that God wants at some point to reveal to people. And so one of the greatest revelations that I've had in my life, apart from the revelation of salvation, obviously, that's the greatest, right? I mean, that's, that's, that gets us, that's everything. We don't have that, nothing happens, but... Probably one of the greatest revelations that I have in my life that's really totally impacted my life is the revelation of the Father, of God as my Father. And that has changed my life more than anything, really. I mean, I couldn't really tell you how much it has impacted my life because to me, to know the Father is to truly know everything. It's to know yourself. Uh, It's to know His Word. It's to know everything about life. That's the only way we'll ever do it is by knowing Him. And only the only way we can truly know Him is for Him to reveal Himself to us. And that's His heart's desire. That's what Jesus says. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because He was the express image of the Father. So Jesus came for that very purpose to reveal the Father to the earth. And so it's just a profound revelation and and words are very betraying i think when you talk about something like this but so i've had you know lots of encounters along the way from with the lord about helping me in knowing him as a father and one of them in particular uh happened seven years ago and although this really may seem real simple to you but it was not simple uh, because it's one of the things that that really launched me. It was like at a point where I I was walking in a revelation of the Father. This really what launched me into it in a pretty powerful way. And this is the simplicity of it. God loves to show up in simple everyday things. Okay, He really does. He don't. He loves to show up in worship services. That's why we gather because we know He's going to show up with us because He loves to gather the family. But He likes to also just show up in these other simple things. One night seven years ago. We were at home, me and Becky, and we had our granddaughter with us at the time. She was our only granddaughter, and she was a little over a year old at the time. Uh, it was Emma, and we were about to have supper, 
and for some reason, and at the time I didn't really understand what was happening to me, uh, I was really uh, seeing something in her spiritually and seeing her heart at that moment. And what I saw in her heart, I saw a sense of security and a sense of belonging and a sense of being able to partake at our table. Okay? And it really, I mean, it, there was a visit, it was a visitation from the, Father, the Spirit of the Father. Because at that moment, what I saw in her was what I saw God the Father want to do with every human being on this earth. That every human being on this earth would know that they are accepted and that they have a place at His table and that they can partake at His table. That they have a, a, a legal right, but more than a legal right, a relational right to partake at His table. And at that moment, I got an understanding from the Father that that's what He was saying to me at, at that moment. And he, that's where He really revealed to me that each one of us have a place at His table. And it's a place that nobody else can take. It's, it's, it's our place. I have a place. You have a place. And no one can take that place because He has given us that place. Okay? And so what I realized that night is is I had communion that night. I had what, what I believe is true communion, not just the, the ceremony. And I think the ceremony is vital because it is the only ceremony in the Scripture, that, in the New Testament Scripture, that we've been, a ritual that we've been given to do. That's the one ritual that the church has been asked to do over and over and over is God was willing to risk everything. Because you know, God's not a ritualistic God in the New Testament sense. He doesn't want us to do things by rote, just do it over and over and over. But He does want us to celebrate communion with, with each other. And so, um, the thing, the truth behind the Father, okay, this is what I, I don't, I'm, I really want us to see, if, I, if, if all possible. Everybody got the catcher mitt on? Because this is a catcher mitt message. This is something you're going to have to catch because I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't get you to understand this. You know, it's, it's not understandable except by the Holy Spirit. Is God's a, is, a, is a covenant God, okay? Now, I, all my Christian life I've heard that term about the covenant God, and I know there's lots of covenants in the Old Testament. The question is, is do I under really, you know, I ask myself, do I really understand that? I mean, what does that really mean? I've heard people say stuff about God being a covenant God, and I'm like, what does that really mean? I mean, do I, really, do I really understand the covenant nature of God? And, and I don't think we as Westerners, especially modern American culture Christians, I don't think we have a really understanding of that at all, really. I don't think I really have a really understanding of it at all. But I do know this. I do know a revelation of the Father has everything to do with a revelation of, of God being a covenant God. In, in fact, the whole Bible centers on God being a covenant God. Everything centers. And that's what, you know, communion's about. It's celebrating that there's a covenant that God has made. And to get that through our, our, our intellectual little minds is, is totally impossible. It has to be something the Holy Spirit shows you. Uh, one thing that I saw 
this week, one night, is I saw this spirit of loneliness that afflicts so many people. There's so many lonely people. And what I saw is it's darkness is what it is. Okay? And it is cruel. So many people are lonely. Um, and, and so many people feel left out. Okay? Uh, so many believers feel left out. Okay? And, and it's, a, it's a wicked, it's an evil, it's a darkness. And I haven't felt lonely in a long time. I've felt lonely at times. I've felt abandoned at times as a child. I was literally abandoned at one point. I felt deserted. I was literally deserted at one point in my life. I've, I've felt all those things. I felt the pain of those things. And God, you know, in the spirit realm, you know, let me re- remember what, it, what that felt like. The desperation that people feel about not being alone end up in the pain and the hurt that has been perpetuated in the body of Christ over that. People will do anything not to feel left out. People will do anything to be included and accepted. People will do anything to have their expression, okay? A, a legitimate expression. But the way they're trying to, to um, you know, express, the way they're trying to be accepted is, is, is damaging. It damages them and it damages other people. It's just like this continual, continual thing. Are y'all, are y'all following this? Okay? I know this don't sound like your normal communion service, but... <laughs> There's nothing you do. Nothing I do is normal. <laughs> I'm not a normal person. <laughs> yeah, amen. You know, one of the things about being the father is he helps you to find out who you are. Okay? It's not a one-time thing, believe me. Uh, but we're in a, a time where God wants you and I to know our truer selves. Some of you have come into a revelation of who you really are in Christ, but you just only have come into a little bit. There's a lot more. It's, you know, it, it really is as a depth to these things that God wants to bring us to, into. There's a greater revelation of who you are. See, this stuff doesn't stop. This is not, you know, God is not, He is very deep. He goes very deep. And God really wants to reveal that. But I believe this morning, you know, my goal is to help people get free from abandonment, okay, and from loneliness and the unhealthy need to be accepted, okay, now let me just say this, you know, everybody needs to be accepted, we need to be accepted by each other, but, and that's a God-given thing, but you can only go so far with that, if you don't get acceptance from the Father, I don't care what you do in life, you can be successful, in life, real successful, you will not be satisfied in your heart. You can be the greatest preacher on the planet, and people can love you for your preaching, but there's something in you that says, I don't want to be loved for what I do. I want to be loved for who I am. Now, that's really the truth. And I think people need to hear that this morning because I sit back and watch people all the time, and I see them trying to get loved Okay, but we're, and they're trying to get loved by by what they do. Not they, but it's the thing in them that needs to be loved. So you don't need to love my mask. I don't want to love your mask. Okay, because at the end of the day, the mask is not real. And one of these days, you're going to have to take that mask off. 
And that person under that mask needed the love, not the mask. You know what I'm saying? And so God wants to love you. He's not interested in loving your mask. He wants to take, get you to take your mask masked. Everybody has multiple masks. <laughs> you don't get rid of all of them in a day. You know, but God can help you get rid of those masks and, and for you to get the love that you really need and the acceptance that you really need. And then all the other stuff is just sort of like the icing on the cake. I know some of you like to eat icing. <laughs> I do. I mean, if you ain't got icing on it, I'm thinking, well, what kind of cake is that? There ain't no icing on that cake. You know, don't give me that, that Walmart icing, this lard and sugar. I want that really good icing. It's got butter in it, right? Butter. I'm not saying anything, Becky. <laughs> all right, so let me just try to... I said all that. I'm really hoping this morning when we do communion in just a few minutes that God's going to help you experience what I experienced that night, that the Spirit of the Father will come to you and you can begin to know acceptance on a different level and know who you are and know something that you've really not known. You know, know God in a way. Go Know that there's something beyond what the words that are being spoken you know, when you say the Father's love, the Father's heart, the spirit of adoption, acceptance, you know there's something behind that that's really profound, and I'm profoundly inadequate to tell you all this. If I've ever felt like I ever thought I knew, what, projected I knew what I was talking about, that was a line projection. Because I don't really understand this thoroughly. I understand it just a little bit. I understand uh, Jeremiah 30:22 is the heart of God where he said, you, and this is the heart of what the covenant is, you shall be my people and I will be your God. And that was God's intention from ever. Is God never meant, you know, for people to dwell alone. Because God himself never lived alone. God was always a trinity. He was a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he himself has this thing in him where he doesn't want to be alone. And that's why we feel loneliness when it comes. Because we're created in God's image. And that thing of being alone or that thing of not being accepted or that thing of on being on the outside looking in, it's a God thing that's gotten perverted with, with people. And so God has always desired, and that's why he created us. He created people to be with him. He didn't create people to do anything really in the end, he created first and foremost to be with him and then the doing followed the being. Because in God, doing always follows being. And so when you do to be, you've got it all reversed and it creates problems, it creates division, it creates strife, it creates failure. It always does. I don't care who you are in the, at the end of the day. You can get away with it for so long, but at the end of the day, it's going to come. It's going to come. You know, the chickens are going to come home to roost in your life. And they always do. The chickens always come home to roost. They will, you know, it, it just happens. And so, uh, here's some things I wrote down. First of all, uh, God wants a family. God's a family man, first and foremost. That's what he's interested in more than anything else in his work. That's why the Lord's Prayer says our Father. It doesn't say our commanding general. Right? It doesn't even say our friend. It says our Father. That he's, out, of, out of that 
revelation of him being a father and him desiring family, him desiring people to be a part of his household and how him get, wanting to gather people to himself. So the revelation of covenant is a revelation of God himself. Okay, when we begin to understand the covenant of God, we begin to understand who God really is and what, how God feels and what God thinks. And this is the thing about covenant. Covenant's a relationship. Okay, God is so relational. God's interested in relationships more than He is expanding the kingdom even. Because to Him, expanding the kingdom is relationships. And God has, will grant you a great blessing in your life if you'll let Him. Here's what the great blessing will be. That He will never tolerate anything except relationship with you. And when you try to pray to Him, read the Scriptures, whatever you, just lit, make your list, and you try to do that, and you're not doing it from a re- perspective of having a, relation, a real relationship with Him and being real with Him, He will... kind of not respond to you. He will kind of be standoffish feeling to you. I used to hate that. Okay, I used to hate that prayers from the Bible at some point wouldn't reach God. That God would ignore those prayers when I prayed them. I would hate that I could come to church and try to sing a certain way and try to be a certain way in church or try to do something in church that God wouldn't respond to me. I used to hate all that until I realized it was like, I'm not interested in that. That was like, God's not interested in that. God's interested in a relationship with me. And He will never let any of those things become the thing in my life. That's a, that's a blessing in my life because God constantly forces me out of my, my religious formulated Christianity that if I do this he'll do that he constantly forces me out of that kind of thinking and will not let me think that way will not let me approach him like that that's a great gift from God it took me a few years to figure figure it out you can you know you can say all the right things you can quote all the right scriptures you know you can pray all the right way you can worship the right way you can do the right things but in the end, if it's not coming out of a relationship with Him, then it's not going to count out to anything. It's not going to count in your life. It's not going to help you in your life. It's like pouring water out on the ground. You're not benefiting from it. Y'all sort of looking at me kind of solemnly. <laughs> so that's one thing about covenants. A covenant with God is not a contract with God. It's a relationship with God. Okay, it's not a contract. A contract says this, I will do this, which means you do this. That is not how God operates with His people. He does not want to operate that like that with you. He doesn't want a contract with you. What is that? That's what people in the world, that's business. Make a contract in business, that's a great thing to do, but not with the Lord. The Lord wants a covenant with you. And it's out of that relationship we actually respond to His covenant nature and, and, and keep His covenant. It's out of relationship. That's the only way it works. Um, let me just... Now I'm going to read some scriptures. This is a great message, isn't it? <laughs> I, feel, I feel kind of awkward up here still. 
Yeah, I want to read the first mention of the word covenant. Now, this is really where I, I have been so blessed in trying to really glean this stuff out of the Scripture. The first time that the word covenant is mentioned in the Bible, obviously, is in uh, Genesis chapter 6. And it, the, the occasion is this. There was a flood, okay? And there was a person named Noah. And here's, I'm just sort of jumping in the middle of the story. And behold, this is what the Lord was saying. I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. That was the Lord. He was in the destruct mode. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Wow, that's a tough day. That's why people don't like God. The scriptures like that. He killed everybody. How could he be good? How could he be loving? But, fortunately, but's in there, right? But God. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. Isn't that awesome? So God established this covenant, the first covenant in the Bible. He just, he just established this covenant with Noah, okay? Now, now let's go to Genesis 9 and read. God gives some more information on the covenant. And God said, this is verse 12, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you. Okay, so. And every living creature. See, God made a covenant with every living creature. That's what it says. That means all the animals of the earth, God has made a covenant with them. Every living creature that is with you, all those animals that he brought into the ark, God was making a covenant with those animals. Isn't that amazing? I find that to be tremendous, that God would stoop that far to reveal his covenant nature even to the animal kingdom. That's why vets are important, right? Dogs, you know. Somebody else can have dogs, right? My opinion. All right, anyway, don't get into women women mad. <laughs> that, every living creature that's with you for, a, for perpetual generations. That means for all generations, God has made this covenant. Okay, and I and then he says, I set my rainbow, or more literally bow, okay, in the sky, in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant. Isn't that powerful? That's why the rainbow is between me and the earth. That that rainbow is a sign of this covenant between God and the earth. And and that rainbow bow shall be seen in the cloud. Don't let you know the new age steal the rainbow. Okay, because I'm fixing to tell you something about the rainbow that's amazing. That amazed me when I saw it. And I will remember my covenant, which is in, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So he made this covenant. I'll never do this again. This is a one-shot deal. Thank God. The water shall never come, become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So this covenant is for every person on the earth. And every animal, every worm, every snake, every bird is for all of them. That tells me that this God cares about this creation. He cares about this earth. He totally cares. And He cares about what's on the earth. If He cares about ants, He's got to care about you and I. Because we don't care about ants. At least I don't. Keep them out of the house, right? <laughs> Put poison out. <laughs> but that's... 
And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, this is what I found out about the rainbow. That word rainbow there, bow, is the same word that's used everywhere else in the Old Testament for the weapon bow. Now, think about it. God put a bow. You know what a bow looks like? Somebody takes a bow and arrow and they pull it back. Where does the bow aim? It aims at its target, right? God was saying this. This is what he was prophetically revealing. And, and whenever you look at a rainbow from now on, I want you to get this. God took the arrow. He was prophetically revealing in the future, I'm going to take the hit for mankind. This time, mankind's taking the hit. But in the future, in the future, God himself is going to take the arrow. And so every time, then this is it. Listen to this. Psalm 69. This is a very prophetic song. And it's wonderful, though. That does excite you about God. Just remember the bow. Think about the cross when you see the bow from now on. Think about Jesus dying, that God was saying, even with the rainbow, to remind us of what He did for us. This is, this is a prophetic psalm. This is a messianic psalm. This is, this is a prophecy of what Christ would say. Save me, O God. Listen to this. For the waters have come up to my neck. Prophetically speaking, the water. In other words, Christ was drowning like all mankind drowned. Christ was drowning. Christ would be the person that would drown. Christ would be the one that would take the arrow of God into his heart. Isn't that powerful? I sink in the deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into the deep waters where the floods overflow me. That's God prophetically speaking to mankind. Isn't that powerful? That's the first covenant. The first covenant was declaring this is what it's going to look like. This is what I'm going to do. Isn't that powerful? So whenever you see a rainbow from now on, put the air in it and pull it back and fire it towards God because he's saying that's what it symbolizes. It symbolizes me dying for you. I, I love that. I'm, I'm excited about that. All right, here's the, the, the Abrahamic. There's lots of covenants in the Bible, by the way, but this one's the Abrahamic covenant. This is the biggie right here. This is the model covenant, Okay. And I love this covenant, too. There's a lot in this one. Uh, I'm going to read this to you of Genesis 15. Are y'all getting this? Uh, then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Isn't that great? And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Don't you love the Bible gives us permission to ask God questions? How am I? I'm going to know this, Lord. This is, you know, some things that already happened. So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. I mean, he killed them. Down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two because they're so dog and little. And when the vultures came down, this is where this get. This is one of the most interesting scriptures you're going to read. I'm telling you, this could be like a drama, man, like a play. Like get some music and put to this. 
I mean, get some of that orchestra music and start playing it when this is being read and, and develop a play around this because it's crazy when you first read it. And then the vultures came down on the carcasses. But Abraham, or Abram, drove them away. What the heck? What the heck? What in the heck is that? You ever think about that? What the heck is God talking about here? It certainly was just not, oh, well, there's some vultures came in Abraham. There's something God's trying to say. He's trying to tell us something. He wants to get a message across to people forever and all eternity. Y'all believe that? You should. Now, when the sun was going, it gets even crazier. This is crazy. The sun was going down. A deep sleep fell on Abram. And listen, behold, horror. A great darkness, this is crazy, fell upon Abram. Horror. That means he was scared. Have you ever been scared before at night when it was really dark and you got scared? It's horror. He was really scared. That means he wasn't just normal scared. I mean, he was quaking in his boots. Because a darkness that came on him, a great darkness fell on him. A great darkness. Everybody say great darkness. This ain't the darkness that you just see. It's the darkness that you feel. You know, when you're in a dark place, when you feel darkness on you, you feel it and you can't seem to get through it. I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you ever get there, you'll know. There's some people in this room that have been there. And then it, I'm going to, Stop there and jump to verse 17 and finish finish it. And it came to pass when the sun went, this is even crazy, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven. What? An oven? An oven? What? What the heck is an oven? <laughs> Isn't an oven something you cook food in? You know, Frigidaire or whatever in your house. I mean, when I read it, I thought, what's an oven doing there? What the heck? All this means something. A smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant. See, this is the covenant. This is the covenant that all covenants will be judged by. This is the model covenant. This is the covenant of faith. This is the covenant of Christ foretold. Okay, this is the covenant when we take this thing. We do this stuff. This is the covenant here that, that foreshadowed this. And they're talking about ovens. They're talking about horror. They're talking about darkness. What does this mean? What what kind of covenant? What is all this about, God? And God began to speak. And He made this covenant saying, to your descendants, because remember, Abraham asked the question, how am I going to know? And God goes through all this big deal. All these big crazy things happen. You all right? Did I make everybody mad or something? <laughs> Yelling and carrying on? Huh? Well, I'm going to tell you about the oven. Uh, first, let me read something about the torch. 
that Derek Prince said that I thought was excellent. He said, are y'all okay? I got to catch my breath. What a darkness came over Abraham at that moment. Not merely the darkness of night, but the darkness of the smoke from the oven. Boy, isn't that something? But in the midst of that darkness, there was just one thing that brought light. One thing. The flaming torch. That flaming torch reminds us of the seven lamps of fire. Before the throne of that John saw in Revelation 4. The seven spirits of God. Isn't that beautiful? It's God in the person of the Holy Spirit. So God Himself came down and passed through those pieces. Now this is important. In those days, when men made covenants with each other, they would do this very ceremony. They would cut up animals. And both men, listen, both men, I'll whisper this so I won't make you mad. Both men would walk through those cut pieces of animals, thus coveting in themselves to each other. In other words, what they were saying, from this point on, I honor you and place you above my very life. And if I break this covenant, then I shall die. Okay? Y'all got that? That's how they did it in the history in the time of the Hebrews, in the Old Testament. So this thing that was happening was not something that was weird, except for the weird stuff that happened. But, but here's the thing. Where was Abraham when they were making the covenant? Abraham was asleep. He didn't even walk through this thing. Now, that's, that is nice. See, that's beautiful. Think about it like this. God made the covenant and walked through it for us. In fact, the greatest thing that ever happened on the earth, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane beginning to bleed, beginning to bleed from the sweat. The covenant was being cut right then. What was his disciples doing? They were asleep. They couldn't even, he said, you can't even stay up and watch with me an hour. He wasn't really fussing with them. Because, see, I believe Jesus knew, and he wants you and I to know, is you can't keep the covenant. In fact, this is what you need to do. Just go to sleep. Just rest. Just go to sleep and rest and sleep like Abraham did. I will walk through it myself. Isn't that powerful? Now, you want to know about the furnace or the oven. You want to really know? And you want to know about the horror? And you want to know about the vultures? And you want to know about the darkness, right? Well, here's what the darkness is. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was dying on the cross, what happened? It says it grew dark for three hours. You see, what was happening here, this is powerful. Abraham was experiencing what was going to happen to Christ on the cross. That darkness was the dark. He was prophesying the horror that Christ, he was prophesying. That's why he was feeling, the father of faith was feeling the horror. He was sensing the horror. He was fighting off the vultures, the demonic realm that were, that were going after Christ at that moment. Y'all getting this? Y'all see this? And you know what the Bible always says about 
an oven in the you know what it always represents? Suffering. That's why and you go read the Old Testament, it talks they use another term, they use furnace. Furnace and oven are the same word. The furnace of much affliction. And see, that's what was happening. God was walking through it. He was saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you. But I'm going to suffer for it. I'm going to, it's going to be in much affliction that this covenant actually happens. And you're not even going to have to do it. You're not even going to have to do it. I'm going to be the one afflicted. I'm going to be the one that suffers for this covenant. And that's why Abraham, the father of faith, was experiencing all these things so he could tell us the story of what Christ did for us and how, how he... Do y'all get this? This is, this is the story behind the story. This is the story of the Father's heart. This is what's really, when you say the Father's heart, this is what he feels. This is what he looks at. It's what he went through for you and I to be able to be connected to him. All right. Like I say, you've got to catch this, right? Now, let's look over at Genesis 17. I'm doing pretty good, you know, on time. I hope you're getting this. Lord, help everybody get this. Please help them, Lord. All right, this is God a, few, a couple chapters later, a few, a few little bit of time later. He's going to reconfirm this covenant. This is where it gets real exciting. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Oh, every male child among you shall be circumcised. So, this, in this situation, God is asking that man do something. And what he asks him for is something really simple. All I want you to do is get all your boys and circumcise them. Now, if you think about it for a minute, if God could hit a man in his most delicate place in his life, if he really wanted to go after you as a man, there's one place he would go after. He would go after your manhood, right? I mean, after all, that's the part of you, part of your physical anatomy that represents your manhood. That represents your ability to reproduce. That represents your ability to do something. And God says, I'm going after that very place in you. I'm going to go after that place. I'm going to touch that place in you. And so, thus, there was a physical sign of circumcision. Now, let's jump over to the New Testament. Did y'all men get that? I saw every man in this room, legs get close. <laughs> Their hand go over certain parts of him like, is God wanting to do something bad to me today? I saw this joke. I think I've told it before. I love this joke. It's Moses talking to God. Now, he was saying to God, he was talking about the Arabs, and he was talking about Israel. Now, wait a minute, Lord, let me get this right now. They are getting all the oil, and you're going to cut us where? (laughs) What what kind of deal is that, God? That don't seem right. They're going to be rich, and you're going to cut us somewhere. (laughs) I thought it was pretty funny. (laughs) This is what Colossians 2.11 says about circumcision. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So that's what circumcision is. It's a spiritual cutting 
of us. It goes directly to our ability. Remember when I was talking about everybody wants to be accepted, everybody wants to love, we're going to get up there, we're going to preach, we're going to get people saved, we're going to get on the worship team, we're going to do all this stuff because people will love that. And God said, I'm going to cut that, I'm going right for it. That's what circumcision does. It cuts that, it disables you in that area. God wants to disable every person in this room from thinking that way. Totally disable you where you can't think that way. Because God wants to do it. And really the truth is, are y'all okay? The truth is the hardest thing for Christians to do is to stay at rest and not do. That's the, that's the great challenge. That's the great thing that we battle with. It's on the inside we feel like we've got to do. We've got to perform. We've got to produce. We've got to come up with a strategy. We've got to come up with a plan. And God's saying nothing like, well, I didn't say you had to come up with a plan. If I tell you to come up with a plan, you'll come up with a plan because I'll give you the plan. Are y'all following this line of thinking? I'm telling you, this is, that'll make a difference in your life. All right, so I'm running out of time. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read two really powerful uh, covenant, covenant statements in the New Testament. First one's, for, does, are y'all getting anything out of this? I hope you are. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says this, But as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them he gave the right. Everybody say the right. He gave a right. You see, that night when my granddaughter, what I saw in her, an understanding, consciously or unconsciously, of a right that she had, a right to eat my food a right to sit at my table, a right to expect to be taken care of her. She understood she had that right. How many Christians really understand that we have a right? A right because of a covenant. Do you get this? We have a right because of a covenant. God has made a covenant. He did everything to make sure we had that right and that we truly understood that right in our heart. That word right can also be translated privilege. It also can be translated authority. He gave us the authority, what? To become children, which is really translated sons. Sons and daughters. You have been given a right from God to be a child, to be a son, to be a daughter. You have that right. It's not a special thing. You've been given a right. You have a right to go to the Father. You have a right to entreat Him, to stand before Him in heaven. You have been given something. You have a right to be you. Nobody can deny you this right. No one. To those who believe in His name. All we got to do is believe what He did. Believe, believe is sufficient. Believe, believe it's all been done. All we got to do is enter into it. All we got to do is agree to it and say yes to it and embrace it. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will. See, all that. That's talking about all this junk. I, I got to be accepted, so I'm going to make a lot of money. All that. None of that works. None of that's going to get you there. It's not going to get you there. 
it's going to keep you out. It's going to keep you outside looking in. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to start finding faults with those who are in. You're going to start despising those who are in. You're going to start going after them. Why are they getting to do this? Why did they get to sing on the worship team and I didn't? Why did they get to preach and I didn't? Why didn't nobody come see me? All that comes from a orphan. All that comes from a person who's abandoned inside. I'm not being treated right and equal. I demand my rights. And you'll demand your rights till you go to your grave. And then you'll get in heaven and the Lord will say this to you. Luke 15, 30. Are you okay? Son. This is what he told the elder brother. When he was throwing his big fit about his other brother. His other brother who left and came home. Yet he had been there the whole time. I've always said there's many people lost in the house as they are out there. There's people in the church that need to be found. Not from a salvation perspective, but from being a son perspective. They need to discover their sons. They need to discover what Jesus, this Father here, which represents God the Father, says, you're always with me. And listen to this. All that I have is yours. All that I have. Everything. All of it. I know that's hard for us to believe, but that's what the Bible says. That's a covenant statement. That's a covenant statement. All that I have is yours. If you'll begin to believe it and begin let me work in your heart, I can teach you how to have all that I have. I can show you how to get all that I have. It's really the truth. This is the way God designed us to live our life where we walk around with that knowledge in our hearts that all that He has is mine. I admit to you today, only God can make that real in your heart. It's not a mind thing because you can know it in your mind and it won't change you. I thought I knew all this stuff. I did know it all in my mind as a young Christian even. I knew about all this stuff. I knew this. I knew I'd been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I knew about the finished work of the cross. I knew all that stuff. I could say the words. But there was something missing in my heart. You know, there was a connection in my heart that wasn't there. And none of that really helped me. It helped me some. I, I will admit there was some help being done in the background in spite of me. But it's when I began to really hear that I was a son from, from the Father Himself, when I began to hear Him talk to me about that, when I began to hear Him deliver me from abandonment, from that spirit of abandonment, the orphan spirit, when He told me about the orphan spirit, I'll never forget. This is before the other thing. is I felt this thing for the first time. I was conscious of something, but I'd always been conscious of it. I'd spent my entire life conscious of a spirit. Even as a believer, I was conscious of something in my life. I could never, but one day, one day it became clear to me, and I asked the Lord, Lord, what is that? And he said to me, that's an orphan spirit. I said, orphan spirit? What the heck is an orphan spirit? It's John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. And see, everybody in this room has dealt with or is dealing with an orphan spirit. Because every human being on this planet is an orphan until they come into this revelation 
When you get saved, you're no longer an orphan, but your, your heart will keep screaming to you as an orphan. And so, I believe this. This is what I believe about the, about the communion thing. To me, that's the Lord's table. That's one of the reasons Jesus said to do this. Do it. Remember me. Remember, remember something that's important in your life. You're, all that I have is yours. You have a right. You have a right to come take this table. But this is just symbolic. This is not the real thing. There's something that's really real behind this. There's a real God, the Father. There's a real Father who has a real home. He has a real house. He has a real heart. And He wants people to know that and know that they have access to Him and to know that they have access to everything in His house. He dearly wants you and I to know that. He gave everything. He gave the best He had. So we can know that. He didn't give us the best just to get us to heaven. He gave us the best to get heaven in us. To get the reality in us. God wants us to know this. I mean really know it. And I'm glad I know it to some little degree. To whatever degree I know it. But I think there's more. I think there's a lot more. And I think a lot of Christians, their love grows cold. They get lukewarm because they don't have a connection like this. They don't have this connection. Doesn't mean you're not going to have some bad days, right? You know, Abraham, he kind of has a bad day here and there. Right. But you don't have to have a bad life. You really don't. You can get up when you have a bad day. Get up the next day. Let's do this one more time now. Hey, you know, let me tell you my secret weapon. Just tell you this. You know, when I sin, you know, oh, Lord, I, I wish I wouldn't think that. Or I wish I wouldn't do that. Right? Feel all condemned, judged. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or y'all all not sinners? <laughs> right? So, here's what I do. I, think, I sing myself this song. The song says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I sing myself that song, and, that's, and this is what I say. It's a new day. His mercies never come to an end. There's, I have a new level of mercy. I'm moving on now. I'm letting go. I'm not going to be so sin conscious. I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to be conscious of what he's saying. Yeah. And if I need to go get some help with something, I'm not stupid enough not to, right? <laughs> like if I might need to go get a, a trusted brother and say, "Man, will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you talk to me? Because I keep doing this stupid thing and I don't really want to do it. And it's not me that's doing it. Really, it's just my old carnal, crummy nature. But I, I just don't want to do that because." There's something greater that I have that I want to. So I know when to do that. And it's embarrassing to do that. You know, it's kind of humiliating, really. But it's always freeing. You know, it's always freeing. I really encourage you to do that. And I really encourage you don't be sin conscious. Be the Lord conscious. 
and sing that song. It comes out of Lamentations chapter 3, I think verse 24, something like that. To sing it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. How's that train I saw? It was a train coming at people. Wanting you to know something about Him. His mercies never come to an end. There's no end to His mercies. He'll never quit having mercy on people. They're new every day. He's faithful. You keep telling yourself that. You won't be stuck in sin. You won't be stuck in all that. You'll get out of it because you'll say every chance. He gives me a chance over and over and over. He doesn't judge me. He doesn't criticize me. He's not down on me. I think when Christians start believing that way, then Christians are going to be renewed. They're going to be transformed. Amen. All righty. Well, we're going to do communion now, and then you can. Uh, we'll have the prayer ministry team. Okay. After you do communion, if you want prayer, but here's the goal. I'm going to just pray this simple prayer. That what I got that night at my house, at my supper table at my house, you'll get that when you when you take this today. That God would, the Spirit of the Father would come on you. Okay, I'm praying that He would do that. The Spirit of God the Father would come on you today. And you would know Him as a Father. And that you would know that sense of belonging. And your life could begin to get healed of abandonment, loneliness, Striving, all those things. Amen? So let me just pray it, and then we're going to have the communion, and Jacob's going to do us some music. Amen? Father, thank you today, Lord. We just want to invoke your word that you really are a covenant-keeping God, and you want us to know that you took the arrow. That was the first thing you told us about, that you were going to die. People weren't going to have to die from now on. They did that one time, but after that you said, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one that gets flooded. So if you don't know Christ today, okay, if you've never known Him, today is the day of salvation. Today's the day to say to Him, I want to know this God who took the error for me. I want to know this God who, took, who drowned in sorrow for me. Okay, and so you can receive Christ right now just by inviting Him, asking Him, confessing to Him that you need Him. Lord, I need you. I've lived my life apart from you as a sinner, as a lost person. But today, I'm coming home. I'm coming home to you. I'm asking. I believe that what Christ did on the cross is what brings me into the family. And so, and if you're a person who's kind of been backslidden, there's a couple of you in here kind of backslidden in your hearts. You know how to get back to Him. He's right there waiting on you. He's going to run to you like the brother, the younger brother and fall on your neck and kiss you and hug you and get that, that garbage stuff off of you, get that filth off of you. He'll get it off of you today. And for the rest of us today, Lord, we, we want the spirit of adoption. I'm asking you to release that spirit of adoption in this room that every one of us would know that we have a right to sit at your table, that we have a God-given right, that we're sons and daughters, and we belong. And I pray that would become a governing factor in our life from this point on, that we would be governed by the fact that we are sons and daughters. Holy Spirit, that you would do that. That would govern us. I pray for the strongholds 
that govern people's life right now that tells them they're abandoned, that darkness of loneliness. Lord, I just break that off in people right now. And I call forth, Lord, for light to come, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I pray for new revelation, deeper revelation of your Father's heart, deeper revelation of our true identity in Christ, deeper revelation of leaning on our beloved's breast. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That we would go out of here with our mind on things above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. When Christ, who is our life, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall also appear with Him in glory. That's our future. Thank you, Father. So, you know, if we could... You know, come and take, take, come to the table of the Lord. Come to the Father's table and eat and know Him as your Father. Know Him as a covenant God. And if you would like prayer, someone will be here to pray for you.